Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. This is our uh, episode 16, and uh, we have a very special guest. Michael Smolens is a very, very good friend of mine. Uh, I uh, spent a lot of time with him uh, in New York and elsewhere uh, in the world. Uh, a lot of adventures together, a lot of stories, but also listening to his stories. Because Michael, uh, during the years, uh, collected a lot of interesting people, a lot of adventures all over the world. I mean, there are places he has never been. For example, Antarctica. Uh, unless he surprises us with uh, telling me that he has actually been to Antarctica as well. But what is uh, wonderful about uh, Michael is his warmth and his uh, uh, sincere desire to positively impact the world and his ability to turn this desire into, into action. So, Michael... Welcome to Searching for the Question Live. It, uh, yeah, it's a thank you for that kind introduction. When you talk about all of the wild places I've been, it came to my mind that probably the uh, most bizarre place I ever was in 1977, I was uh, on my a trip around the world because I thought I was going to be put out of business and I was able to save the business. So as a single bachelor, I was treating myself for a trip around the world. And I was in India and I was uh, in the Northern India and I wanted to go into Pakistan. And lo and behold, the India-Pakistan war was declared. So the, uh, the borders were closed, but as a single guy, I didn't, that didn't bother me. So I flew from Srinagar to Karachi, and then I flew from Karachi to Kabul, Afghanistan in 77. Do you know this story, David? Well, uh, don't worry, because even if I uh, were together with you just having a, a glass of wine uh, and I indeed heard the story many times, I would never tell you that. Okay. <laughs> and but so I was I in Kabul. Some of our listeners have never told, heard the story either. No, I'm sure. I, I was in Kabul ahead. and I just hung out for about a week. And then I decided, and my good friend who was on my college tennis team at Carnegie Mellon, their family lives in Peshawar, Pakistan. So I actually got a taxi cab and drove across the Hindu Kush desert in Afghanistan across the Khyber Pass to go into Peshawar, you know, Napoleon nor Hitler could ever make it across there. But Michael uh, at age 30 was going across there. So that was- Because, because nobody told you that it couldn't be done. Yeah, so that was probably the, uh, the, the strangest uh, thing I've done. Uh, so it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and I'm looking forward to uh, a lot of your very, very uh, interesting questions. So, uh, let me know where you want me to start. Uh, well, uh, I, I uh, found you uh, because I uh, uh, was at Singularity University when we were still in the process of designing uh, uh, our offering um, now 12 years ago. And uh, I remember that uh, my I, I was convinced that uh, online videos 
would be very important. And uh, Ray Kurzweil and I agreed that uh, Singularity University's content would be released under a Creative Commons license uh, so that everybody uh, could appreciate uh, the content that we were producing. Now, that is not like that, but then, then that is what we wanted. Uh, and uh, I knew that was a necessary condition, but I also knew it wouldn't be sufficient because people needed to be able to watch those videos and uh, understand them. Not everybody speaks English. So I just went and, and Googled because I, I was sure there would be a solution. And indeed, there was. I found the company uh, that I, I didn't uh, know before called uh, .sub. And I sent an email explaining what I, what I wanted to do. And uh, as, as you are wont to do, you just picked up the phone and, and we started speaking. I remember I was in uh, Tenerife at the time and uh, you were probably in, in, in New York. And that's where our acquaintance started, uh, then uh, going in many, many other places. So uh, let's, let's start there. Tell uh, the people who are watching uh, uh, our stream, what is .sub and, and why did you create it? Um, that's a really short question that has an extremely long answer uh, that is really rooted in a sort of a 32-year life journey that I started when I was 23 years old. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and I, so a, a Midwestern boy, and uh, went to Carnegie Mellon and then had a, a real job in New York, my first job, and after one year, I quit that job because I met a Haitian in New York. I have no idea why I did that. I quit a job and I started a factory in Port-au-Prince, Haiti at age 23, making hand-painted children's toys for nurseries. Had no idea what I was doing, but it was very exciting and I was willing to take a risk. So hadn't been to Haiti. Fast forward, I built a factory there with 4,000 employees, 2 million square feet of real estate was back and forth to Haiti 20 times a year, knew all of the people in Haiti. And in, in 1991, I uh, had a very bad experience when I picked up the New York Times and saw that the President Bush, the father, had declared a trade embargo on Haiti. So I, I lost $7 million that day and uh, 25,000 people were out of work in Haiti. It wasn't a good day. So uh, after I sobered up, I uh, decided to set up a plant in Mexico two and a half years before the North American Free Trade Agreement, and then uh, did was the first American to privatize a company in Hungary. We bought a large industrial park south of Budapest and built a t-shirt factory there. And that, that grew over five years to producing 25 million t-shirts a year with yarn from India, Pakistan, and Turkey to US brands in Europe. Nike, Hanes, Levi's, et cetera. And we set up a factory in Romania. Now, I don't, I think all of you know that David is a native Hungarian. He just moved to uh, Italy when he was a teenager. So, but he is a Hungarian by birth. And so that factory, I sold that in, uh, in 96 and went further afield and did projects in Azerbaijan and Egypt in different fields. So I was, um, 
doing a lot of things around the world in different industries and have a, a deep and profound understanding of other cultures. Um, when 9-11 happened, I was at the World Bank in Washington. I heard the plane hit the Pentagon. Got a call from my wife said, did you know that the plane was flying into the World Trade Center and couldn't come back to New York? And I did a lot of thinking about what could have happened to cause people to do this most brilliant military move in history to change the world without an army, without a country, just hijacking a plane. And so in 2004, the entrepreneurial phrase, an aha moment or a, a lightning bolt, I hit got, got hit with a lightning bolt when I saw the movie Fahrenheit 9-11, the movie by Michael Moore. And I said, wow, here's a documentary film in English that potentially could change a presidential election. What if I could create a browser-based tool that would enable any film or any video in any language to be available in any other language and viewed on any device and platform? And a couple of really important notes to make. Number one, it was about two and a half years before YouTube, two and a half years before smartphones were invented. And I had all of the experience and requirements to do this because I'd never been involved in the translation business, never been involved in the technology business, never been involved in the media business. I had always made things in foreign countries with thousands of employees. So I had perfect experience. I had a, I had a goal to, to really change the world and allow people to get access. And I sent you a slide. Can you show the slide with Mr. Mandela on it? Yep. This is this is this was and is my mantra. If you talk to a man in a language he understands, that speaks to his head. If you talk to him in his native language, that speaks to his heart. And because I spent over 30 years deeply and intimately involved in other cultures with governments down to factory floor employees, the ability to speak to them in their native language changes everything. And Americans don't really understand that because they think that everyone speaks and understands English. And so that's what the goal was to, to, to try to do that. And then when I spoke to you from Singularity University, we met on the phone, we started doing a little bit of, so we, we, I started .sub conceptually in 2004, spent three years writing the code. 2007, we were sort of ready to start you know, beta testing it. And uh, one of the early people we worked with was Creative Commons with Larry Lessig. And uh, as we got going, um, you know, the business started and we started working. Uh, and early on, I went to TED and TED had just been bought by Chris Anderson a few years earlier. And it was a very exclusive place. So we uh, basically worked together with Ted and uh, launched the Open Translation Program, which is now the largest uh, translation program like that. I think uh, other than Wikipedia, there's about 35,000 people that volunteer translate it's, TED Talks. And, and show you, just to show you that uh, that your message gets, uh, gets around, uh, we have uh, uh, Nick uh, Stareleski, who is escuchando, from evidently a Latin-speaking uh, place. Uh, and uh, I invite uh, Nick, as well as every other uh, viewer of uh, the show, to please send your questions to me or to Michael. We will be very happy to answer them live as well. 
And we also have uh, Vit uh, Yedlichka, who is uh, uh, the president of Liberland. Uh, and he says that he loves uh, .sub. So uh, please, Michael, continue. So thank you. Thank you very much. And nice to meet you both. Um, so .sub sort of was evolving. And we're working with large companies and some media companies and figuring out what to do. And as I was sort of, I won't use the word struggling, but trying to figure out how to ultimately, number one, what was the problem I was trying to solve? And I finally came out with, as, as video became very, very much easier to produce when the smartphone came out and then ultimately millions of people had video cameras in their pocket. So the cost of producing video was dropping and the ability to create video was dropping, even though when you have Hollywood and broadcast television, they're spending millions of dollars a minute on film or hundreds of thousand. So at that level, it pays to have professional translators, but the AI or machine language translation was just evolving. And so we sort of put together three levels of translation. There's a professional translator and we have hundreds or thousands of freelance professional translators all over the world. And then there's the AI translation, which is terrific in terms of if you're in a taxi cab in Japan and you want to get to your hotel or order food in a restaurant or have a conversation, it's much better than nothing and it's very easy and you can do it with all sorts of apps. You know, but IBM, that small company, has this tool called Watson. IBM doesn't use Watson to translate its internal and external communication. Hollywood doesn't use it. Microsoft, large companies have very, very important communication that their brand image is dependent upon. So we do a lot of work with these people. And as, as we're going on, uh, that's what's happening. And as the, the world has evolved, uh, my goal is to enable seven and a half billion people, the whole planet, to have access to all of the knowledge that there is in video form on their phone. And obviously there's um, a lot of people don't have smartphones. They don't have internet connectivity. And I have a very dear friend, Nadan Vadvani, who created a project called uh, Health Phone. I could actually show you, uh, I have it in my uh, backpack, uh, a phone. It's a feature phone. There's 10 billion of them in the world. So you can actually take uh, a $2 micro SD chip and put 666 videos in 18 languages on a chip so people in remote villages without electricity and without internet can watch videos in their native language. Um, do you want me to get that phone and hold it? It's, it's just a basic smartphone. Uh, um, I, am, I am showing the, the, the screen yeah, okay. uh, of, of health phone. That's fine. And Okay, so, so, so that's so, you know, what we're doing. And then when I finally spoke to David, maybe eight or 10 months later, and I hadn't met him in person yet, he was sort of wanting to change his career, his job. So we worked out an arrangement where he sort of uh, wanted to join .sub. And I said, well, what position do you want? He said, well, I'd like to be CEO. You know, and David, I'm, if you listen to David, that's very surprising to all of you. You thought he would want to be an executive assistant or something, but he, 
decided he wanted to be CEO. So I said, sure. And uh, he didn't have a beard that long at that time. I wouldn't have given him the position if he looked like he did. But actually, um, actually you, you, I had a short beard and, and you said uh, that a, a CEO should be clean shaven. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and, and, and so, and I tried to figure out what title. I had been CEO in all of my companies my whole life. So it took a couple of months and I came up with the title of collector of puzzle pieces. And you want to show that slide there, David? I am, I am about to, yes. That's a, uh, it, it took me a long time. And so this is about seven or eight years ago on, on my business card. It says collector of puzzle pieces. That is a great image. And the, the slide there was the last slide in the first time I gave a public talk. It was in Taipei, Taiwan with a TEDx talk explaining what collector of puzzle pieces mean. And I sort of learned the lessons which are still uh, sort of leading my life. And I think lessons for lots of people. The first thing people need is total clarity. Uh, very, very difficult to have. Once you have it, you know it. And it's just very um, refreshing. It's releasing. It, it, it's freeing. When you're clear about what you want to do in your life, you, you don't really have a lot of decisions to make because it either takes you where you want to go or you don't. And then the second thing is you need to have unrelenting passion. You just need to go, go for it and just don't stop. You have to uh, be very fearless. I guess uh, being in northern uh, India and uh, going into Karachi, and then into Kabul, Afghanistan, and going across the Hindu Kush desert is pretty fearless. But it possibly could be called stupid. Uh, but I, I did that. And uh, the last one was the most difficult. And it's the, the most powerful and it's the most um, karmic or philosophical or emotional letting go. It's, you know, if you're really clear about what you want to do and you really trust the universe and all of these things, then if you just allow the universe to happen, what happens around you is where you want to go. And it took years to to allow that to happen for me. You were going to say something, David? Yeah, that uh, both of us have this experience of opening up to the possibilities, listening with curiosity, and uh, then finding incredible connections that you call puzzle pieces that serendipitously uh, have both meaning and, and positive impact and then be able to attach ourselves with passion to those that uh, we believe uh, really matter. Yeah, so that... that, that and what happens is when things start happening positive, you sort of question it. And then when they happen ever more frequently, or ever more, po finally, it, it took me a couple of years to accept it. And once you accept it and really let go, the velocity and speed and magnitude of what's happening. And so that's where I am in my personal life journey. And uh, the company dot sub is, is going along obviously with, um, 
uh, with regular commercial clients. And one of the things we did, which was quite an accident, but it turned out when the virus came in, it was very brilliant and foresightful and prescient, is we started the company 100% virtual. Yeah. We don't have any offices. And we did it basically because the first three people worked in different countries and we didn't want to spend the money for an office. So we now have uh, 28 people uh, in the company all over the world on different continents. And we don't care where people are. And it requires a whole different mentality of people because most people get all sorts of their strength and reinforcement from hanging around the water cooler or together, but people that are very clear and confident, uh, sometimes like working by themselves or whatever it is. So Dotsub has been and can, will continue to be a virtual company. So we haven't had to make any adjustments and we work and with companies. That is, that is quite amazing because um, so many organizations, even successful ones, don't use the tools that we have available to be a digital company uh, at their fullest. Uh, and, and even uh, they call the people uh, who are not at the office, they call them remote as opposed to being at the office. And they are kind of a second class citizen when compared to, to, to those who can aggregate around the water cooler. But uh, you had uh, the, 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 the fortune of stumbling upon something that now is uh, not uh, adopted is forced upon the hundred percent. <laughs> so, so now they are scrambling to discover uh, all the organizational, but even most importantly, the cultural components that are necessary in order for um, everybody in the company to be able to work together when they are not physically uh, in the same shared space. Uh, and uh, and I think that you are. Uh, both in the day-to-day -day practices of uh, uh, talking to people, picking up the phone, or, 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 or in any other way, or just shooting an email, uh, very good at, at uh, uh, nudging and shepherding uh, uh, people towards the right uh, directions and, and making the right connections. I, I um, uh, learned a lot uh, of, of, of things uh, from you, and one of them is, is always funny because you you never wait a minute to talk to somebody or to send somebody an email as soon as it occurs to you you don't say okay okay let me think about it and i will send an email maybe next week you just send it right away or you pick up the phone and you talk to the person right away and i think that's wonderful and very very effective um so what are what are the the uh, exciting projects that uh, take .sub as a platform for granted and using uh, both uh, its uh, technology as well as uh, your ability to put things together uh, are now um, the, the things that you are really excited about and that, uh, that uh, are, are passionate for you? That, that's a really important question. Um, as the sort of the technology has expanded. Um, I, I've had for, for, for uh, quite a few years, I've, I've had a pretty active involvement with the United Nations. And uh, there's something that was uh, created in 2016 called the Sustainable Development Goals. If you could just put up that slide, David. 
Um, these are 17 goals. Uh, they call the SDGs that were put together by Bai Ki-moon. You know, all basic things that everyone would want. No hunger, no poverty, quality education, gender, climate, etc. And these are following up 15 years of, uh, of Kofi Annan's uh, MDGs, Millennium Development Goals. And, um, you know, these are wonderful things, but everybody looks at this as do-gooder or tree-hugger or things like that. And the UN has spent tens of millions of dollars, but they haven't really gotten a lot of traction on these things. And I've been going to meetings because I walk, you know, 15 minutes from my apartment in my office. I'm down at the United Nations. And uh, two, uh, three, two years ago in 2018, and show this other slide, the, uh, the, S, the uh, $12 trillion, at a meeting at the UN, a, a British-based consulting firm called Business Fights Poverty had a brochure that really was an eye-opener. On like page four, it said that the SDGs were a $12 trillion, that's with a T, not with a B, dollar opportunity for brands and companies to sponsor people that are doing good for the world. I mean, in the, in the corporate uh, terms, it's called CSR, corporate social responsibility. And, you know, Sony in 2018 spent $30 million aligning angry birds with the SDGs and more, more and more people are doing this. And, if you divide a trillion dollars a year by 12, that's $80 billion a month. And if you say that's 400% more than it should be, that's $20 billion. That's a huge amount of money that's available to support projects that are doing good. So this was an eye opener for me. And we started doing a bunch of things that are relating to global impact that we thought could have uh, impact with people that are wanting to be involved with these things. And at the end of the day, since only 6% of the people in the world speak English as a native language, there's a chance to impact 94% of the planet by language enabling. And I sort of created another term called language enabling at scale. So if you want to impact and hit millions or tens of millions of people, you, have, you can't do that one at a time with a translator and it involves, you know. And then the other thing is when you have TED Open Translation Program or other things, when you have volunteers, these are people that are passionate about a specific subject. And when they volunteer their time, usually they're social media influencers. And then they'll sort of spread the message about translation. So we're doing a bunch of things. And uh, one of the things we've done is to try to, and to me, the single biggest um, SDG that has the most impact in the world is gender equality. Is, you know, half of the planet Earth are women. And probably about 70% of the world from a population point of view, women don't have an equal position in their society, in their village, in their family. They're at a different level. And if we could, and women are just as smart, they can get just as much done. They can run businesses, start businesses, do everything. And so if we can sort of really have gender 
be involved in this, this could make a, a very interesting impact. And I was karmically introduced uh, several months ago, for example, to someone from India, from a company called Jaipur Rugs, that has, it's a 40-year-old company that has 40,000 female employees who are in their huts weaving rugs and have been doing it. And none of them had education or jobs or making income. So 40,000 women are changing their role in their society and their culture. So we're working with them. And then a couple of years ago, I was giving a talk in Marrakesh, Morocco on the power of .sub in terms of education. And a young man, a teacher from Philadelphia came up to me and showed me something called dream flags that he's been working on. If you can, these are, you know, making, he had students in, in, a, in a girl's school making fabric banners with their dreams for their life. And when they tie them together, they become like a Buddhist prayer flag. They're called a dream line. So I said, wow, why don't we make these available in multiple languages? He asked me if we could help language enable them. So to make a very, very long story short, and David, if you can show him that graph about um, tagging dreams. Um, so then here we have, you can measure, you know, in particular places, these are students in Morocco, Belize, China, Tanzania. This is what they're dreaming about. And no one else has ever been able to see how you can understand. And then we're, we have a project called Dreaming Without Borders that's helping people pursue their dreams using video. So there's a lot of things that are directly involved with language enabling, but getting much more in media and content and storytelling and distribution to create something to hopefully take partial advantage of that $80 billion a month that's available. So these are the kind of things while we're working on growing .sub and then all of a sudden, this little thing that no one's ever heard of called COVID-19 came into it. It's, it's something in, so- So, so uh, what, what, where, where are you as we are speaking right now? I am in the, um, Actually, you and I are probably in the two hotbeds in the world of the COVID. Uh, I, am, I am passing the virtual baton from Bergamo to New York to unfortunately have become the epicenter of the pandemic. Yes. Yeah, we are in New York. Uh, I've been here now for, I'm in my apartment on 72nd Street. Um, three weeks ago, I walked uh, to the, drugstore once to the grocery store once I was walking in the hall and in the lobby of the building, but I haven't been out of my apartment now in 10 days. And uh, a lot of people say, you know, and I, and I wear, I have a mask here somewhere and uh, I wear gloves. And if I'm in the hallway, uh, but um, I'm in New York and I'm going to be here not moving anywhere. I, I do not want to take a one in a million chance of getting that bug. And um, because I am over, uh, I know you find this hard to believe, but I'm over 40 years old, David. And uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm in the, in the category of uh, being in danger. So with some friends of mine who we've known and doing business with, 
who were involved in global impact, uh, we came up with an idea that we hopefully um, will be, it, it's actually been launched, as a, it's a site. It's really, it's called Voices from the Front. Um, and uh, can you show that uh, slide there? So uh, I have a, a good friend um, in Chicago, Michael Hoffman, who has a company called Gather Voices. He had a company that's still in existence called C3 that was a marketing agency focusing on nonprofit. And Gather Voices is a, a, an app, uh, a mobile app. You can do it on a browser as well where you can ask a specific question. And on your phone, people can, you can tell 10 seconds, 20 seconds, whatever it is, and people can much more easily make a video that fits certain requirements. And then when you're done and you're happy with the video, you press the upload button and it automatically is uploaded to a private CMS, a content management system. And in this case, because there's so many frontline workers that are doing things that the general population has no idea what they're doing. And when you watch TV, you, you get a little bit of the snippets. And we've seen, I know in New York, several hospital senior administrators have been disciplined or chastised for saying things about their hospital or their job that didn't perhaps look good on the hospital, you know, and we don't want to get into a political conversation. So here, we have an ability for people on the front line to shoot them the, the, a video of whatever story they want to tell. And then they, um, you know, put the video up on the site. That's what it looks like. And then you, uh, you, it could appear automatically on a Facebook page or on a Twitter feed. And so we want to do this. And we're maybe a week or so from launching. And this is all going to be a nonprofit. It's going to be uh, launched uh, under the auspices of our third partner, uh, Sanjeev Chatterjee, who's in Miami, who is a tenured professor at the University of Miami, a documentary filmmaker, award-winning. He was uh, vice chairman of the Knight Foundation, and he has a 12-year-old nonprofit called Media for Change, where hundreds of videographers around the world are making media for social change. So this is going to be a Media for Change 501c3 project. And we're speaking to companies to sponsor this. So there's three aspects. Number one is stories from the front. Hear what people are doing on the front line. Number two, thank yous. You see in New York, every night at seven, people are opening their window and getting on their porch and screaming and yelling and dancing and everything else to thank the first responders. Lots of people have people to thank, delivery people. who, And then the last one is similar to what we're doing with the dream flags, we call it dreaming without borders. Everyone, everyone that's watching this show, anyone who you know are dreaming about what could be the positive outcome after the COVID-19, when it's over and the world, we don't, I don't think it will ever get back to where it was, when it's over, you don't have a fear of going out. What do you dream about the world being like? And we want to have this available for other people to see what hopefully thousands or tens of thousands of people are dreaming about. So we want to use video technology and a whole bunch of tools 
to allow the general population globally in multiple languages using DOPSUB to help the frontline workers tell their stories, to help everybody thank you to the frontline workers, and to have people express their dreams of what they hope. And that's a really big project, but the technology is there. It's, you know, it's online. And the, and, and the point is, we can, we can do it. And the world needs it. So that's why we're doing stuff like this. Yeah, I, I um, uh, can, can hardly believe that uh, when you started .sub without uh, any technology background, that, that you were able at the time to overcome uh, all the technological hurdles. And now we are really at a point where a lot of things that we could only dream about are possible and they are available to so many people. Uh, who have no barriers for their self-expression and who are able to create incredibly powerful bridges connecting them using these digital tools, which are, of course, even more important when the physical proximity uh, is impossible. You and I are both huggers, and, uh, and it, is, it is hard uh, when, when you don't have uh, somebody that you can hug. But of course, the power of uh, video communication is so empathetic, is so intimate, and, and it is so clear in, in our unity as, as humanity that uh, offering these kind of platforms and these kinds of tools like you are doing is, is incredibly important. You can, get, you can get virtual hugs. <laughs> I, okay, we can we can we can uh, live with that for for a little while, but, uh, but after that uh, we we need more. And uh, and uh, from a from a very pragmatic point of view, you know, I'm really um, rooting for uh, molecular biology, epidemiology, and and uh, scientific research in general uh, to take advantage of the global focus that is now being put. Uh, because every scientist is now working on some facet of the challenge, whether it is um, creating uh, cheaper um, respirators that are faster to produce, uh, open source that uh, can be shared uh, with uh, whatever plant uh, doing thousands of them or more, uh, whether it were uh, the vaccine that hopefully is going to be not only effective but and as well as safe, but uh, also something that will last, because uh, the, the the there are still a lot of questions. Right, we don't know what kind of immunity people who have been exposed and and uh, who have uh, uh, either developed symptoms, but hopefully mild, or they were completely asymptomatic are going to get. And of course, uh, you and I didn't get it yet, and, and we definitely don't want to get it, um, either because uh, we are less young or we are less light. Uh, and uh, not, not getting it, what does that mean? How are, you know, the, the example I'm making is, okay, let's assume that the uh, social distancing uh, uh, or even better, physical dis distancing uh, measures are lifted, and I decide to go to a business meeting. 
And uh, I come home, I take off my mask and wash my hands and do whatever I need to do. Do I self-quarantine for two weeks before I go and visit my mother so that I don't kill her? How is this going to work? We still don't know that. And, uh, and there are a lot of open questions, obviously, everywhere in the world. The learning experience uh, uh, is so intense in various uh, uh, sectors. Uh, and, and it is one of the, the other reasons why overcoming the language barrier on video, but in other media as well, is, is so important. And the, the reason why the projects that you are working on with your platform are so... You know, but also, also exactly to what you're saying, there's no one in the world that knows what sources of information truly to trust. Because the information that's coming from from leaders, <laughs> without mentioning any names, from heads of state, from people, is contradictory. And from everything that I am reading, you know, the 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 the, the Chinese might have very much understated the total initial outbreaks, you know, in China. And you know, you told me this morning on the phone that you think that it could be that there's five times as many people in Bergamo that have passed away, but they didn't have tests. They didn't know. And so when you take a look at the charts, you really don't know. And the point is, at the end of the day, you don't want to die. And we all want to participate using our knowledge, using our skills, using our contacts to help the world, this new world, whatever this new world is going to be. And we do know some things, you know, Sub has been having Zoom conference meetings for as long as Zoom has been in business. And I don't remember whether David Orban was the one that brought Zoom into, I don't know. But so that's not new. Many of my friends had no idea about it. What is this Zoom? Okay, so you so right now the whole media industry is changing, the film industry, and the point is there's huge opportunities when there's disruption, there's opportunities for growth, there's opportunities for new ideas. You know, I mean, you you in your past have been a speaker. You go and speak as a keynote speaker at conferences. Now those conferences are gone. You know, let now me, you, let me show you another example of uh, inclusion and and barriers uh, for technology adoption disappearing. Uh, I am showing uh, uh, an Italian language comment on screen. Uh, it says, uh, I want to uh, say hello to Michael, uh, whom I had the chance of meeting a few years ago. And it is my mother uh, uh, who uh, is watching the stream. And uh, she's, uh, she's saying uh, hello. Uh, independently of, of, uh, of the age, uh, we can participate. Uh, we have another uh, of our viewers, Emiliano, uh, remarking that uh, he believes that hugs will come back, and I agree, and they have an even deeper meaning, uh, and, uh, and I, I am uh, pretty sure that uh, we will uh, be so happy to rediscover uh, hugging as well as many other kinds of physical proximity. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to ask your audience, whomever they are and wherever they are, to send any questions, any really difficult questions or thoughts that you're curious about in terms of our thinking about how the role of language enabling and everything else based on what you've heard 
um, because I'd love to, to know what your concerns are and your thoughts are to see how we might be able to help. So if anybody... Uh, and, has, and, and, you know, uh, Michael, as, as we said, uh, these live events are wonderful for uh, immediate interaction with these remarks. Edlichka, uh, uh, who I uh, quoted before, uh, for example, shared that the URL on dot sub of a video of his that has a couple of million views, <laughs> right? <laughs> he has been a long time um, dot sub uh, user, uh, probably uh, even before uh, YouTube or, or other platforms uh, existed. Uh, and uh, even though this uh, live interaction is, is wonderful, uh, the long tail of content uh, is uh, important. And of course, with .sub, this long tail can, can be discovered even deeper because rather than just indexing the title and the description of videos, uh, the videos that are captioned uh, and uh, show translated subtitles using .sub can be discovered for their entire spoken content. And uh, so that that is part of uh, part of the deep uh, value of a platform like this. As a as just as a, a thought that I haven't had in many years, uh, this uh, new technology that few of you have ever heard about called Twitter. Uh, when when it was started, I don't know how many years ago, ten years, I don't know how many years ago, no one knew what Twitter was, and so someone uh, made a short video explaining what Twitter is and they use dot sub and it was volunteer translated into about 80 languages. And I remember it had something like 10 million views because it was on Twitter explaining what Twitter was. And so these are the kinds of things, you know, that are possible and YouTube might not have existed then, but you, you know, Google and, you know, they only paid 1.6 billion, which everybody thought was crazy, which one of the biggest bargains in history. But so that, you know, that's that's the world we know that storytelling and, and that's really what videos did storytelling about entertainment, education, inspiration, training, corporate communication, everything is going to video. And more and more video, and it's and so that's the whole idea is to allow these seven and a half billion people to have access to this with full impact in their native language. And do, do, you know what, do you know what TikTok is? Yes. Do you have a TikTok account? No, I don't. I have a TikTok account. <laughs> I'm I'm experimenting with TikTok. Uh, I, I try to discover the language because it is so interesting that uh, every new platform has its own way of communicating, right? When I signed up to Facebook uh, in, I don't know, 2005, maybe, I don't know when it was, for a long time, I didn't quite get it, right? Like Just like you said, Twitter, why, why would someone write these short messages? What are they for anyway? And Instagram, where a lot of people are showing their uh, food or, or vacation photos. And now TikTok, which uh, has these uh, extremely intense, but very often carefully crafted 15-second videos. Uh, so um, I am still discovering uh, the meaning and, and how they could be used for somebody who is not necessarily a, a dance performer or uh, any kind of... Uh, acrobat or juggler or or 
ma uh, uh, magician. Uh, it, it, it is it is very very funny though, and and I am sure there will be other platforms that could take advantage of your kind of thinking because too many times uh, these are um, these 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 are these are not uh, taking into account the variety of cultures and approaches and aspirations that could be uh, thriving in a in an inclusive environment and and you have that kind of uh, longer term uh, vision that really um, uh, enriches uh, the things that uh, that you get involved with david can you somehow put my email address on the screen for anybody so if anybody wants to communicate with me they, they're very i'm very happy to speak with anybody or try to help anybody re regarding this thing because we all have a big big global problem to deal with yeah yeah you and are i i both uh, extremely approachable uh, uh, on email and uh, i love uh, receiving messages uh, from from people uh, also on, uh, on on facebook or wherever else uh, the uh, the the ability to welcome strangers online uh, i think is uh, is a net positive and and of course you and i uh, are uh, white males uh, in in western countries so certainly uh, we 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 are uh, accumulating experiences that don't uh, set us up to have any kind of bullying or 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 any kind of uh, uh, negative um, ac accumulating against uh, this availability, and other people may not be that lucky. But uh, uh, I am I am happy to to be available to to the world uh, uh, the way that uh, that others don't don't necessarily are. Can uh, you know just? In thinking about just at the end of the day, everybody in the world has their own idea of what the new world is going to be like. And everybody has their priorities as to, you know, some people are trying to figure out how do I make the most amount of money out of this opportunity? What's the other people are trying to figure out how I can help the most people. But at the end of the day, the sort of business models are going to be changing. And, you know, that's why David, you know, is, is, is doing this. He wants to get experience in terms of how people are communicating and, and building their brand and learning because at the end of the day, media, you know, who knows how the movie industry is going to go or, you know, all of these, you know, it was very interesting. I never thought about it. People, sports stadiums. Yeah, I was just about the tens of millions of people pay nine ninety five a month for a sports channel, but there's no sports on the channel. So why, why do they have to pay the money while there's no sports to look at? So there's all of these announcers just talking on the screen, you know, and so for a period of time that, and so, all of these things are opportunities. And at the end of the day, I would hope that the solutions are to help uh, lessen the divide between the haves and have nots. That's the biggest problem because it, if you take a look from, uh, uh, from 1980, the, the last 40 years, I don't remember what the exact statistics are, but CEO pay, has increased 3,000% and worker pay has increased 12%. Yeah. 
Yeah. So let, let's really, really think about making sure that whatever happens. Let's let's go back to that. Uh, but uh, before we do so, uh, answer a couple of questions from from uh, the audience. So Emiliano uh, asks a long question. Uh, he speaks uh, different languages, and and the translation is more about understanding than just mere translation. And and how does Dotsub uh, addresses the fact that there is so much value and so much cultural nuance uh, in in getting a good translation? Well, I mean, that is why you use qualified, screened, tested professional translators. If you just want to translate, we don't do, you don't translate word for word because it's not, it's not good enough. You know, that's what machine translation does. You have to have meaning. You have to have nuance. And we're actively involved in translating music lyrics. And that's more like poetry. So and, and interestingly, the, the the next two questions are going in 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 a in a different but extremely relevant direction. Uh, Vit is asking if .sub is employing uh, uh, AI uh, transcription uh, as well as the question then is natural coming from Giovanni whether uh, you believe it is going to be possible to have a high quality AI translation. So AI captioning, as you would uh, call it, Michael, and uh, AI translation. Well, a a AI captioning, or if you want to, it, it's ASR, which is the technical term. It stands for automatic speech recognition. And so right now there are many ASR engines that are a fraction of what it costs for a professional captioner or a professional transcriber. And so you have two different problems. You have accuracy of the 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 word recognition and then with you know and that's for text if a doctor you're in the doctor's office and the doctor is holding you know uh, david orban came to visit me and he's complaining about a headache and i gave him a pill and i and if you transcribe that and that's automatically transcribed there is no time coding it's just words when you do captioning you not only have the transcription component but uh, if you're doing it with a human being who is thinking about translation, then you have to have line breaks, pauses, and things like that. And understand that in German, there's takes 40% more characters than it does in English. So you have to accommodate that. So we work with people that are doing automatic captioning. And I, I don't want to mention any names, but there's people who are providing captions at very cheap prices. But it's very difficult uh, to, to, to have our translators work with them because they haven't taken into account translation. All of this is going. So there's let something me, called... Let me show you something here because uh, technology, of course, is evolving. Yes. So, you know, so I don't know which engine you're using. is not doing is introducing uh, punctuation marks. Yeah, it's, it's character, you know, and so what we have is we're using ASR and then we have human post-editing, it's called. I, I don't know if you are looking at the screen because I am yes, sharing I the Google Meet uh, window uh, where the automatic speech recognition writes what I'm saying. It can also start introducing the necessary symbols. Mm-hmm. And of no, course, there, there you can see that mistakes. Yes. 
So yes, so yes, we are we are doing, but you know, the, the whole point is it depends on what people's budgets are and their um, interest in accuracy. You know, for example, another dot sub client is Boeing, and the Boeing CEO gave a lot of speeches to tell the world what Boeing was doing, and they certainly want to make sure that all of the essence of what he was saying is properly translated. So the world gets an accurate, they're not interested in translating the words, they're interested in translating what he was saying. And so well, one can- Example, because uh, of course uh, uh, you can uh, be very accurately translated, but if uh, what the translation says extremely accurately is no, sir, you do not need extra training with our special equipment that has been mounted on this uh, uh, new uh, aircraft labeled MAX. And then that kind of instruction turns out not to be the best one and the plane crashes. Then uh, the processes and the procedures matter, not only the, the, the accuracy, the judgment of the information beyond the accuracy itself. Not yeah, a, not and then there, there's a lot of additional variables that we certainly can go into, but I don't, you know, is the fact that you have, number one, the quality of the audio. So lots of people who are recording don't have good microphones. And people who are speaking with heavy accents. So many times I watch a film at home with people there's this country across the ocean called the uk or britain or england or whatever it's called these days and sometimes when the people are speaking they're not in europe anymore they are yes. just in the ocean yeah i know they're speaking with an english accent and i can't so sometimes i actually have you know captions uh on the screen so i could understand easily and they're speaking my language but it's with a british accent or many people around the world are speaking English. And, and of course, we also know there are so many languages that uh, are not uh, uh, taken into consideration, uh, both uh, tribal languages by the hundreds or the thousands, languages that are only verbal, they have no written version. But I was very surprised even the, uh, uh, this uh, a few weeks ago, I was contacted by somebody from Bhutan and the official uh, language of Bhutan is Jonka, and uh, Jonka is a is a written language, and 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 since it is the official language of a nation, I would have expected Google Translate to support it. No, it doesn't. So uh, definitely, AI has uh, still a long way to go, both in terms of uh, the ability to recognize and transcribe, the ability to translate, the quality and all those variables that you said. It's getting better every day. And just you, you know, following up with what David said, there's 6,800 languages in the world of which 85% are not written, okay? Another, another and, question uh, Davide is asking about uh, healthcare translations. Do US hospitals uh, have in-house interpreters for patients who are not familiar with English? Uh, and uh, and is dot sub involved with that? And he is also from Bergamo, and he says hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> we 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 don't have any internal live interpreting, whether it's for healthcare or for any other reason. We work with other agencies. We refer our clients 
uh, for this, uh, but we are involved. Uh, New York is certainly one of the places where uh, non-English speakers in the public spaces are recognized and supported by infrastructure that is put in place by the city. Yeah. Oh, and and with we, we are we've been actively involved with a company to the south of Bergamo called Salerno in Salerno, Italy, outside of Naples, with a company uh, with Roberto Ashone, who actually David introduced me to, who has a company called Health Healthware. He he was a division of Publicis, and we're doing a lot of work with Healthware, and who's doing, you know, and he they you know right in the middle of the same kind of problem. So. The answer is .sub doesn't do this. We refer people to people who do uh, live interpretation, and uh, it's a it, it's a completely different field. And we we can spend a lot of time talking about it. But for example, at the UN style interpreting, when someone has an interpreter, we have to retranscribe and caption it because the quality of the interpreting is not good enough for translation. It's good enough to give you a gist of what people are saying, but if you want to do it, it's nowhere near good enough without, you know, so those are the kinds of things depending on what people's tolerance is and need to have accurate information. It's, so uh, Michael, uh, this was uh, wonderful. I'm so happy for the many, many questions that, uh, that we uh, received. And uh, I, I really want to thank you for being uh, with us uh, in uh, this uh, episode of uh, Searching uh, for the Question Live. You and told me it was going to be three hours, David. It's only one hour. <laughs> no. Bye-bye. Okay. I, I really want to, to thank uh, uh, all of our uh, viewers who participated in this episode. Uh, I invite you to uh, visit the page uh, on my website uh, uh, to get acquainted with uh, all the uh, various components that we are putting uh, in place, uh, not only by myself, but uh, by a real community that is uh, uh, forming. Uh, we created a Discord server uh, that you are welcome to join uh, on the URL that I am uh, showing. And uh, of course, uh, uh, the live interaction is wonderful, but if you uh, are uh, missing uh, a particular episode, you can always go and watch it again uh, on the various uh, platforms uh, where we are uh, streaming. Uh, you can also sign up uh, to the newsletter that I'm sending out uh, weekly. Uh, I am um, pretty surprised by how consistent I uh, have become because uh, it's almost uh, a year that I am sending out uh, a newsletter every week. And uh, of course, I'm not doing it alone. Mauro and Emil and Massimo and uh, Randy and uh, many other people are helping me in uh, doing uh, what I do. And uh, finally, uh, if uh, uh, you believe that uh, you are getting value from uh, uh, this uh, production as well as from the weekly uh, video, uh, The Context, that gives you a deeper and broader understanding of the challenges of uh, uh, the world that uh, we are in, uh, feel free to join uh, other uh, members of the community that supports uh, uh, on Patreon uh, the team effort uh, that we are in uh, together. So uh, thank you and uh, I will uh, welcome 
uh, you uh, in the next episode of uh, Searching for the Question live tomorrow. Mm-hmm.